the Alcatraz, made by Spanish manufacturer Lorente. Imagine taking a magic carpet ride, removing the restraints, and replacing the seats with shark cages. You'd get one of the strangest fair rides ever built. Named after the famous San Francisco prison, this ride known as an Alcatraz also goes by the name La Carcel, which is Spanish for the jail. For this ride, guests are locked into cages with no seats and no seatbelts. Five cages sit on a platform, which is connected to a rotating arm. As the platform rotates, guests are free to jump, dance, and get as much airtime as they want. This ride looks like a lot of fun. Salutations, friends, and welcome to this episode of Mandatory Redistribution Party. I am Jack Lewis Evans. And my name is Sean Morley. Sorry, folks, if there's a bit of noise in this recording, we're coming to you live from a roller coaster. How are you feeling, Sean? <laughs> I'm great, actually. In fact, I've stuck us on some food. Do you want a lasagna? What do you mean, a lasagna? How much lasagna have you got? I've got two. I'm not a monster. I'm not going to make you watch me eat a lasagna when we're both on the roller coaster. Here. Do you need cutlery as well? Oh, be careful. It's, it's actually very hot. <laughs> oh, that is hot! This, this episode is about escapism and desire. Is escapism good, or should we exclusively look at and think about human suffering? Well, this is reality right here. This is as real as it gets. If you would like to support the podcast and access some additional content, please consider supporting us over at patreon.com forward slash mandatory redistribution party. We hugely appreciate it. Thank you. And if you have spent all of your earnings on a Drayton Manor season pass, we also love it when people tell their friends about the podcast via social media or indeed screamed from a roller coaster. Oh, I feel kind of bad being here. What about all the people in the world who are suffering? Listen, mate. Sometimes you just have to give yourself a little space from suffering. This is a suffering free zone. Oh, my lasagna! This is the worst day of my life. What's your stance on theme parks? Theme parks? Yes, theme parks. <laughs> I always get, like, you know, the tendency to, like, hyper-literalise what people are telling you. Yeah. What is the theme of theme parks? Right, rides. yeah, yeah. I think, I think the theme of this is rides and being trapped. Expensive stuff. The theme of this park is expense. I think the, maybe the more correct term is amusement parks, but I think that's American. Yeah, that makes more sense. But I don't even know if it is. Is it amusement park? Should we be saying, you know, if you were saying, what is Alton Towers? How would you, dis what would you say theme park or amusement park? Oh, what would I say? Phil, I've never had to define what Alton Towers is. Um, <laughs> a, a theme park, I'd probably say a theme park. I amusement think I'd say park theme does park, feel yeah. American to me. But I do think the question comes down to, do you like rides? Because mm. there's other stuff. No right? one's there's like. other stuff. The shops. And that's what, that's so mad to me that there's other stuff. Why is there other stuff? There's a Burger King where <laughs> chips are seven pounds. Oh, God. Um, I actually got invited to Alton Towers recently, right. and I needed to sit down and think, do I enjoy <laughs> rides, or is this an echo of something put into me by other teenage boys? <laughs> yeah. There's, a, there's an yeah, age yeah, yeah. when you've gone down. For me, it was Drayton Manor. Yeah, yeah. You don't know your catchment for everything as a kid, but you know mm. your catchment for going on rides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know your local rides. <laughs> but you can't be like, oh, no, thanks. I don't like the rides. I'm actually here for the little, I'll go on the Caterpillar one. No way. Are you, that's interesting. Are you, are you not a fan of rides? I don't know if I'm a fan. This is what I'm saying, right? Mm. 
Mm. You know when you live in society and you <laughs> yeah. decide not to have a belief that goes against the grain for an easy life? Yeah. And there comes a point where you're like, is that something I performed to not get mocked by the other boys? Uh-huh. Or is that me? Do I really like rides? My theme park mask. My theme, theme park, park mask. mask. Yes. So there was definitely a time where I sincerely believed I had an unalloyed love of yeah, rides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My love of rides was normal. <laughs> and I don't know if I was loving the rides uh-huh. and loving the, the dip and loving yeah, yeah. all of the massive weird new pressures on my vestibular system or whether I loved <laughs> being normal. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> you weren't expecting that answer, yeah. yeah, that's that's causing some serious introspection in me as well. I remember. I don't like vertical drop. I can't handle that. Schools do a weird thing. A lot of schools do a thing where they have like they say like, right, if you're really good year ten, you get to go to Alton Towers in uh, July, and then they just do mm-hmm. a load of coach loads of people to Alton Towers, um, and then they use that as like a threatening you that you won't be allowed to go to Alton Towers. Or something, or some sort of stick to beat you with. You offer a yeah, because there's not much when when kids are immune to like writing lines. Yeah, yeah. You could rescind a, an offer of a lovely time. Yeah, yeah. Which is ultimately yeah. a day off school. You know, that's that's mm. that's what you're in for. But it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because like we call it like an amusement park, a theme park, whatever. The theme is maybe perhaps the theme is amusement. Uh huh. Right. The theme is having a laugh. But <laughs> the theme is also horror. <laughs> Like, huh? if you think, lit, right, let me explain. Even, right, so obviously, I'm not talking about, like, haunted house, spooky haunted house, where someone's like, right? I'm talking about just rides in general. Most rides are death simulators, are near-death simulators that make you feel like you're nearly going to die, but, oh, phew, you're actually all right. Do you think that's what, what a ride is doing? I think a lot of them, I think the big selling point rides, I think especially roller coasters... Do you know they design roller coasters to sound broken to make you more scared? <laughs> Did you know this? I do always wonder, because roller coasters, yeah. you know how you can see the metal of the tracks? Yeah, yeah. And that metal all feels exposed. You see quite a lot of exposed By metal. By design. And, and normally you treat exposed metal, especially like in like first world, this is a product. Mm. Exposed metal feels like something's come off. Yeah. Something's come loose. Yeah, I'm yeah. never supposed to see the chassis of anything in my life. Well, this is it. They intentionally even leave things in some places looking broken. Um, they they leave, they calculate a certain amount of slack even in the structure. So it feels like it sort of bends and moves in the wind. And rattling. The, the, you know the chain that takes you up the roller coaster? Mm-hmm. They intentionally make the volume of that as loud as possible to make it seem yeah. like almost untrustworthy. And all of this is feeding in. And then obviously you just have the normal things on a roller coaster of like speed and the, the sensation of acceleration, the sensation of falling, the things that are going to make your adrenaline spike, things that are going to make your heart rate spike, things that you would experience near death, things that you would experience if you were like being hunted by like a panther or something. Wow. Right? So I think a lot, and even on le- even on lesser stuff as well, you get that physical sensation that perhaps you don't get in ordinary life. Like maybe it isn't to the extent of horror, but it's a weird form of escapism in the same way of like horror movies where it's giving you a safe feeling of danger. Mm. Right? Mm. Um, and even in the when it's not a horror theme, I think some things they make them look scary. I mean, there's that ride in like Orton Towers, which is called like The Nemesis. That's that, yeah, the really yeah, steep yeah. one's called Oblivion. Like, they are all putting out a certain energy. They never work against that vibe. Yeah, they're never called, like, the good time <laughs> yeah. train. Calm library. Yeah, <laughs> right? I want to I say something that I think might even feed into this. Yeah. Because I, I'm, I'm now remembering a time that I believe I genuinely, sincerely liked a roller coaster. Uh-huh. When I was in secondary school, our gifted and talented program took me to uh, Disneyland Paris. Right. And I I found out after the fact that a lot of gifted and talented programs are mm. about taking bright kids and making sure they get a bit of extra education. It's actually a way of dealing with um, neuroatypical <laughs> yeah. children who don't seem to be making any friends. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And so they got, a, they got a bit of budget and went, we'll just put you together in a fun environment and hope yeah. some of you get along. <laughs> Fucking hell. And we did it. We just found our separate rides and just yeah. caned them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I get my dopamine from this. Yeah, I don't need another person. Look at this machine. It wants to kill me. (laughs) (laughs) But not really. (laughs) I hope. 
So when I was there, they obviously like took us on the off season, cheapest off season. I think it was like mid week, mm. mid winter. That's why schools do it, yeah, because it's yeah. mega cheap. I went straight to Space Mountain, right? And I just rode it ten times in a row, and there was no queue, and it was so empty. You could just, I left my drink outside, mm. went on Space Mountain, came out, found my drink, had a few more sips of it, and then went back on and did that for like two hours. <laughs> <laughs> fully caffeinated, fully ready to go, super gulping between. And the thing about Space Mountain is, mm. it is absolutely dark in Sorry, there. Yeah, it's messy. You up. haven't got the whole chain experience, you haven't got the exposed metal. But sensory it's, deprivation, actually. Yeah, so this whole idea that I could die, you're supposed to feel like you're in space. So yeah. the. You're taken outside of yourself and you don't mm. feel like you're going to die because because everything's really decontextualized <laughs> about what's going on. Yeah. And I loved that ride. And I compare that to any other ride. I can't handle the chain going up. Mm. I can't handle the vertical drop. I can't handle where I, I can't handle context. Mm. You remove context and I will be thrown around by any machine you like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Space Mountain specifically is about like this it's sensory deprivation versus those other ones which are like hitting your senses by design mm. and space mountains by design as well but th like these theme parks as a whole in the, in the same way like a horror movie or any film really is about this sort of escapism and suspension of disbelief and like journey to something else but it's an actual physical space that you walk around in mm. that is like unreal and disconnected from everything because obviously there's the, there's the rides and there's the horror element of that, but there's other creepy stuff. Like, I mean, Disneyland, the the people in costumes and character standing that around, is scary. which is is kind of, yeah, I find it scary as well. That, that probably isn't scary by design, but that is like otherworldly and it's just this mega escapism. And I think it's interesting because then there's horror movies about these things as well. But like the ones I think of are Jurassic, Jurassic Park and Westworld. Before we move on to movies, can I tell yeah. you about the most scary... Um, like live entertainment yes, thing that yes. I've been to. It's in the it's in the theme park yeah, yeah. oeuvre. Yeah. So when I was a kid and had no say over stuff, mm. if we had, we if we were going on a holiday, we'd just go somewhere hot in Spain, and I just despised it. <laughs> I am. There's nothing for a child yeah. <laughs> in that environment. There's just all inclusive drinks for the adults. There are always like quite a lot of like dodgy little resorts that are just there mm. to get like the brit traffic of drunk brits that need to like calm their child down and have you ever been on it's not a ride it's like a horror thing but not a horror train you right. have to walk through it yourself yeah. yeah and it was like alien themed i think this one <laughs> so so the first thing you see is there's an autopsy bench yes and there's an alien on it but there's massively strobing lights in this room and it's the mm. only light source so you look up and you're, you're looking through this window, like, is there an alien there? And then you think, did the alien just move? But then the strobing, like, becomes, like, further apart. The flashes of light are further apart. And then, bang, mm. it's there on, like, the glass in front of you. Someone's, like, it was clearly someone in a suit. And then you've got to walk through and be like, oh, <laughs> there's people in suits yeah. that can come out. And loads of it's nothing, right? You're just walking and being like, now I know something can happen. Mm. I have to force. It's why it's why a horror video game is scarier than a, a horror movie. Because it's you, because you're in it. You have to advance this. On some level, you're now responsible for making yourself be scared. <laughs> and it all builds up to another time when someone in a similar suit comes out in an equally like scary, badly lit room. Yeah. But this time they come out into the same room as you. And I was a child, just lost my mind. It felt like, you know, I could hear the flashbang ringing yeah. in my ears. I was just going outside of my mind. And I just swore at the, at the, at the guy. And I said, fuck off. And then immediately, Did he fuck the guy off? stopped moving. And then, like, the lights went back to normal. And someone came out and said, you're not allowed to swear at the employees here. And I think wow. you, you need to apologize to him. Wow, that's actually a pretty good respectful workplace, actually. Compared to some of I need to apologise to the alien. I'm at fault. Well, you bought in, you know, you went, whoever, or your parents or whoever, someone, whoever put you in that situation, there was a tacit agreement. Because I've heard about... There was also a tacit agreement that I'm supposed to enter the kayfabe of the situation. So if I'm scared and I say fuck off, I'm yes-anding something that's Okay, yeah, you're, you're not, you haven't rejected the premise, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I'm you're not right, insulting you're right, you're the right. employee. You're I'm right. trying to stop aliens. Well, the, the only perspective I come at it from is, is like <laughs> people I've spoken to work in these kinds of things, like the uh, excellent double act, the lovely boys uh, have mm -hmm. worked in um, situations like that, stuff like this, Amy Gledhill, York Dungeon. And then you get like really annoying, like hard lads going around 
just being really aggro, trying to be like, I'm not scared. I'm not scared of anything. I'll fight mm. you. Trying to be hard and like being aggro towards people. And I think a lot of the employees at these places are just like, yeah, that's priced in. You're just going to get verbally abused. Mm. <laughs> but obviously they're not a child. <laughs> Big obviously. difference, obviously. Yeah. Theme parks are this like other world that you have to like buy into when you're in there. But it's a temporary thing for the consumer. I always think theme parks must be a very strange place to work. Like if you are one of the people doing the scares or doing the being beast from Beauty and the Beast, mm -hmm. day day in day out, that must fuck your head to be working within this like unreal. Well, zone. it's a it's probably everyone's favourite non place, isn't it? coined by the French anthropologist Marc Auger mm. to refer to an anthropological spaces of transience where human beings remain anonymous. Oh, my God. So um, he's mainly talking about, like, hotels and, mm. like, petrol stations, conference centres, although maybe you don't remain anonymous in those, but they're places where you are just <laughs> there to tag. airports, for mm. example. Your identity is yeah. not important, really, in an airport. They're places that, like, perform a necessary, like, function of like travel, work, transport, mm. and your identity is not really important. You're just there to like get something and people just move through it anonymously all day long. And theme parks are the best one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and then here's my question I've been circling around. Theme parks, would they exist under socialism? I think rather than gating them off, the idea of them being gated behind this paywall mm. is the most unsocialist thing about them Intu immediately and intuitively mm. to me. Yeah. So I would take what's good about the theme park and I would integrate it into the city. <laughs> <laughs> Coasters all around. Well, I think what you should have is options. Yeah. Boring and safe. Yes. Very fast, feels like you're going to die. Well, well, this I was thinking about that. You know that it feels like you're going to die and it's this simulation of death, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll tell you who you know, very rarely see on a roller coaster. Old people. Because mm -hmm. heightened heart rate at a certain point we're not we're not talking about a simulation. We're talking about you could actually fucking die. Yeah. Well, and I also, also think there's that, accidents where people do time roller coasters. I think probably when you are close to death for mm. whatever reason, mm. you're getting your dose of roller coaster casually. What just day to day for free? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, mild anxiety has the equivalent of being on Nemesis. Well, for some reason, I think maybe this is the problem, right? Anxiety stretch. It's a wavelength thing. Mm. If the wavelength is too long you have anxiety. Mm. And if the wavelength is really, really um, fast, mm. you are having a fun palpitation. <laughs> <laughs> should be more... Maybe people should scream more when they're experiencing this stuff, as is acceptable to do on a roller coaster. I think there's a real bout of like to toxic masculinity on a roller coaster where you're mm. not really allowed to get into the whole vibe of thinking you're going to die. And you have to just bear the whole thing with a very grim, straight face. No, oh, you can't so scream, when, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not allowed to scream. Scream's just a bit too fun. Yeah. Um, and Scream's you need to make sure when the, picture, when the picture is taken of you, you and, and you and your mates are going to see it, yeah. you need to either look... Well, you're trying to look bored, but yeah. you set your face in, like, this grim, like... <laughs> you can see that all your jaw muscles are tense yeah, yeah, yeah. as you've set your entire face <laughs> in one grim you're, determination. You're facing the simulation of death with the grim determination expected of a man to face real death. You have to look upon it in the same kind of I will die for my country way we would hope that every single brave soldier in World War One fought down the trench conditions. <laughs> I love that. So we started off talking about how like uh, lads like coasters and they want to go on the coaster and have you tricked yourself yeah. thinking you like the coaster. But then when the lad is on the coaster, the lad must not reveal joy. Or, or fear. Or fear. It's, it's, it's one of the few ones where you're not allowed, you're, you just have to keep it directly in the centre. But it's per even performed fear, fear that is for joy. You know, they're not, they're not mutually exclusive things. You have to perform that you love it. And when yeah. you're on it, you have to perform you don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the reason I was thinking about this is I, I, I remembered reading a, a really good book by Cory Doctorow uh, called Down and Out in the Magic Kingdom. Have you read or are you aware of this book? No, is this a Disney expose? Uh, not at all. It is a novel set in the 22nd century okay. where uh, basically Disney is controlled by in a sort of uh, anarchist um, and different okay. uh, sort of groups control different rides. Also, humans have become effectively immortal. Um, and sometimes people cry, go into cryosleep just to skip a, a few decades just because they want to, you know, just fast travel to the next thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, they also, and this is, this is 
might it might even be late nineties. It's definitely early noughties, but it's big concept, which has 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 been done a lot since. It's this stuff which is called Wuffy, which is mm-hmm. a kind of social credit thing, where like because real currency is gone, you just get social approval. Right, because we're post scarcity <laughs> future times. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like it's it's post scarcity and it's and it's not. Um, capitalist anymore but it's still kind of dystopian the, the premise of the book different people are running different eyes and basically the, the book is about a, a, a character who really likes the animatronics and thinks mm-hmm. animatronics and like the craft and artistry of that is really cool um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, but but um this guy in the group that he operates in has very low woofy because people don't like the animatronics then no one's coming to see the animatronics and then, oh, so nerds are really low in this new hierarchy because they have niche interests. Well, well, and then the the enemy is another group that's gone hard on instead of on like new tech. So instead of there being animatronics in like the Hall of Presidents or a haunted house or something, they have you like the the Matrix style. The experience of being each individual president beams into your mm-hmm. mind rather than the animatronic. And it's like about the conflict between them because <laughs> they're, they're, they're outside of capitalism, but they still have this, uh, but it's this like social credit. But even outside of capitalism, even if you don't like represent it, you'd still yeah. have, there would be a shared understanding that some people have more social credit. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. You can't enforce everyone to be equally popular and have equally popular ideas. So there would be like some nerds who like some weird thing. Yeah. Who's just kind of stuck socially. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I like the idea of like they're trying to do a thing because they have this weird. They just like love animatronics, but no mm. one else really gives a shit. I feel that's like really built into the human condition. There's nothing mm-hmm. you can do about that kind of thing. Yeah. Do you know there's like roller coaster fanaticism, and there's websites where you can log how many coasters you've been on. Yeah. And like everyone's got this profile, and 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 what you want your profile to be on, it's like the same way. If you're a bird watcher, you want to see every bird. You want to rack up a lot of coasters. Mm. And the person I was talking to was talking very disparagingly of people he knows who are gaming the system because they'll go to a theme park and they'll go on all the kids' rides on their own as an unaccompanied adult to boost their score. And he's saying that's not on. People will do anything, man. <laughs> that's people illegitimate score jacking. You know how I was talking about they they um they will design roller coasters to sound more broken than they are. Uh huh. Yeah. They also try to make queues long because like like they have done research on the longer you queue for a thing, the more you enjoy it. Right, but also probably seeing queues. Yes, and also seeing queues gives social of, status to them. Yeah. That could be part of why being in a queue makes it. Yeah. Um. But then they also sell like fast track things. Yeah. But then. There's a separate queue for the fast track, so you just end up to pay to enter a different queue. <laughs> on on the faith that it's a shorter queue. On the faith that it's a shorter queue. But isn't there always a worry that if it's incredibly popular, the fast track queue gets longer? Well, yeah, but also, if enjoying the ride, if your enjoyment of the ride is increased by being in the queue, you're paying to enjoy the ride less. Because the actual no. holistic experience of the ride includes the, the queue. So I know you're thinking, ah, but you're gaining time. By paying for the fast track, you're gaining time. So you could go on another ride that would increase your enjoyment or whatever. But if you think the the way these ride designers think about it, the long queue is part of the package of the ride. The, queue, the ride does not begin once you get on the ride. The ride begins once you enter the queue. And, and you are depriving yourself of a horrible wait. <laughs> Strange, isn't I... it? It's, it's not even an observation. A good thing feels more good after a bad thing. What a non-observation. I just want to resist this. The queue makes it better. No, they've done empirical studies. I want to resist it. For me, if there's a long queue, I just won't bother. Yeah, same. When I went on Space Mountain, it was just because it was so off season Mm. that I could just spin around. I am the queue. <laughs> yeah, maybe by by saying the longer you're in a queue, the more you enjoy the li- uh, ride. They meant you constantly just being a one person queue that goes round and round. Yeah, I'm never not in the queue up. because yeah. I am never doing anything else with my day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just riding this one thing. But there's no way when I'm thinking of that, right? That's that's my yeah. perfect ride experience. Me just going on Space Mountain all day when yeah. really I've been paid for by some funding body and the school to try and make friends. <laughs> I just <laughs> Going round and around on Space Mountain. There's no way you can tell me I'd have had a nicer time by adding a weird five-minute interval where I stand next to strangers 
in between each of those horrific out-of-body experiences. <laughs> that does not compute for me. <laughs> Escapism comes in two forms. You can try to escape your personal circumstances through hard work, hustling, playing the lottery, descending into a life of crime, living off-grid, or getting into a time machine and hoping for the best. But for those of you who cannot wait that long, there is a more immediate release. You can escape into your mind. You can be the person strapped to the roller coaster, reaching a state of pure being as your fragile body is subjected to so much centrifugal force that your circulatory system goes into reverse. In a moment of pure brain zonkedness, you forget you even exist. Or you can be the machine operator, scratching down the work days until they can finally buy a raft, a tin of beans, and set sail for the unknown. We are all seeking to escape. In the book Culture and Politics in the Great Depression, historian Alan Brinkley writes that there was a massive uptick in American escapist media in the 1930s due to a widespread downturn in people's material conditions, combined with the emergence of a widespread access to photography. For every journal that was chronicling a series of fucked factories and crumbling hungry panhandlers was the mass popularity of new picture magazines showing beautiful women, ship launches, sports stars, building projects. This philosophy of escapism as a social good was expressed most explicitly in Preston Sturge's 1941 film Sullivan's Travels, about a famous Hollywood director who feels compelled to make a socially relevant film and disguises themselves as a hobo to experience the plight of the poor firsthand. By the end of the film he ends up in prison, and one Sunday the prisoners are given a break from hard labour and are taken to see a film screened at a southern black church alongside pre-civil rights era black congregation. The film is a black and white Mickey Mouse cartoon and for a short while everyone forgets their troubles as they watch Pluto really badly smash up his body on a variety of household items. The film's message is clear. Why beam images of people suffering back at them when for a short while you can give them joy? There's a lot to be said for making people laugh. Did you know that's all some people have? It isn't much, but it's better than nothing in this cockeyed caravan. Compare that with the video essay, Why is Cottagecore So Gay?, in which YouTuber Rowan Ellis describes one of the many ways that the further expansion of film and photography into everyday tools has allowed all manner of different groups to create their own personalised escapism. Cottagecore is, at its heart, a form of gentle escapism. For queer and sapphic women, it allows them to imagine a space without homophobia, fear and judgement that doesn't feel like a banishment, but instead a specifically curated paradise. It's a world of independence, of being able to live happily and peacefully with your partner, and a world that isn't revolving around men. For many, Cottagecore is experienced as a powerful articulation of a world without heteronormativity and patriarchy. But Cottagecore also has within it the implications of surplus time, of a lack of digital technology, of an ease and slowness and a lack of urgency. There is nothing new under the sun. Our brains want a shortcut to a happier reality. So why not give it to them? Is escapism really something we need to worry about? I've experienced both extremes of the spectrum. The one where I felt some kind of moral, political obligation to Ludovico technique myself at all sectors of human suffering, automatically clicking on videos of brutality and violence, even torture. After all, if it's people's responsibility to share these images, maybe it's mine to watch them, to tattoo the world's horrors right onto my brain. I've also, perhaps not unsurprisingly, had to completely disengage with all politics for weeks, as I have sent my bonds to piss hell. Sometimes I might need to just play Spyro the Dragon and headbutt a little goblin off a cliff and feel no remorse whatsoever. And overall, I do feel more positively about behaviour that made me feel happy and able and well, rather than simply engaging with suffering for its own sake, which made me feel sick and depressed and hopeless. How much does anyone need to engage with images of suffering before they are sufficiently informed, enraged and distraught? What is the difference between escape and respite? When I'm playing Spyro, I'm not pretending my life doesn't exist. I'm not trying to trick myself into believing that I am a little dragon. I know that I am in fact just a little guy who lives in a complicated world in which I am controlling a little dragon on a screen for a laugh. But that experience, that's really happening. It's as real as a famine or an explosion or a banana. 
maybe you'd want a ring fence for escapism just to describe some more extreme dislocation from reality. What if I was chasing a different dragon altogether? What if I wanted to jack into the matrix and ready player one myself into pop culture oblivion? What if I missed out on the revolution because I could not stop wanking? What if I don't know anything about anything because my entire field of vision is occluded by homes under the hammer? Does left politics have a place for moralizing to people about submerging their lives in a deep bucket of pre-chewed media consumption and psychoactive body pleasure? Do you think Netflix and MDMA are suppressing the revolutionary fervor of the proletariat? Do you think to emancipate people, you need to become the enemy of desire? Good luck, buddy. You're gonna need it. <laughs> Have you ever spoilt something for yourself by having a slightly better experience than normal? Yes. By having a little treat version of something you're used to, mm. the normal version now yeah, is not yeah, yeah, acceptable. Yeah. Better pilled. <laughs> better pilled. <laughs> I better pilled myself on a um, bakery section. Mm -hmm. Very you, familiar. You have got two kinds of big cookie, right? Only two kinds. Well, no, 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 no. There's many. I'm talking about rank. There's lots okay. of there's lots of kinds within each rank. Now there is the basic, I believe, five pack cookie standard mm -hmm. issue, and then for about fifty percent more price, you can have the deluxe bakery cookie. Yeah, and they're like they're you they're will, thicker. There's fewer uh, of them, uh -huh. and they're like got the mega chocos yeah. and yeah. slightly <laughs> nice dried fruit or something uh -huh. in there. Yeah, yeah, right. So they're your two choices. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big sugar head. It's gonna fucking kill me. Because I was on, I was on the regs. I was a regular cookie. I was a regular cookie yeah, yeah. guy. And then, on offer, stay humble. On offer, <laughs> I hit the, I hit the upgrade. Okay. And it was better. There's no denying. It was better. Of course. There's no denying. There's a reason it's more expensive. I don't know if the actual products and labour going into it are that much more expensive, but it is certainly a more deluxe product. Mm. And. It's taken the edge off the regular cookie for me. It has. It really messes you up. It really, it's, 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 like it's hard to go back. When you're having the, the normal cookie. Yeah. There's a memory. Yeah. 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 And if I hadn't ever had that, my mm. enjoyment level, this is why it's very comp. This is why utilitarianism is fucked. <laughs> you can't account for this. It can't account for the, uh, can't account for the better pilled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got different words for it, but we need the same thing. I keep using the you word fandom all the time. I need to rein it in. Although bear actually, I also keep putting trad nostalgia. I also keep putting pilled at the end of stuff, so maybe I need to stop both of those things. Phantom and pilled on our band. I think phantom is acceptable. Pills has a I've dodgy etymology. I've been going hard on phantom. <laughs> Keeping with food, I've definitely 100% done it to myself recently. I live near an M&S, yeah. and when I was having one of my vaxes, mm. I knew I'd be sick, and I got a bunch of little ready meals and just a normal I did a normal shop with some extra ready meals and ever since that I'm like oh just very very basic products are nicer for m and they're more expensive and I, I cannot and should not mm. go there on the regs mm. but it's affecting it's affecting me just buying my normal stuff and having it because mm. I know there's a better one if I walk a different route to a more expensive shop so this spoiling yourself thing I think it works on food real easy. That's like the 101 way in. Also works on anime. I was going to say it just works generally on art, right? <laughs> so, so no, I want to specifically talk about anime and alienate listeners. <laughs> Go no, ahead. No, yeah, fine. Don't, don't, you're right. You're completely right. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of artists, yeah. you know, they work within their own oeuvre and then they make mm. one film or, or book or mm. game. Maybe not painting. I'm not as familiar with, with, yeah, with visual yeah, arts. But they'll make one that's like really close to the other one in terms of the same theme and what it's like artistically trying to do. Yeah. But it's just better. They've just improved as an artist. Yeah. And then this first one basically knocks the second one out of history just into a Wikipedia trivia page. Yeah. There's loads of art that invalidates other art by being similar but better. <laughs> and I feel like these little art films are killing the other films because it's like I will never invest my time in one than the other. And... Could they not? Could we not just stop making better art because it's violent? <laughs> everyone wants because it's violence to the previously existing art. Because everyone wants to just fast track the best thing. Where oh, yeah. I want to find out about this creator, I'll go on Rotten Tomatoes and see what they're best. Yeah, imagine and it, there was a museum mm. dedicated to uh, clocks down yeah, the road, yeah. but then next to it was just a bigger museum with rarer and more interesting clocks. 
You've put the first, you've destroyed a museum. You've built a museum, but you've also destroyed a museum. So what a waste of hard work. (laughs) One in, one out. One step forward, one step back. Pointless. I love the idea that the market does that. You know, like there's this idea that the market allocates things of like to what people um, Mm. want the most and without thinking about how their desires are like manufactured and stuff and like uh, that it leads to the best stuff succeeding because it best meets people's desires or whatever the fuck. Um, So there's loads of stuff that the thing we think is the best might not even be the best because of because how how do you even fucking quantify that? But what I will say, so marketization creates designs and it also creates a lot of rankings. You know? Yeah, yeah. Marketization is like, you know, I will tell you the height of marketization is yeah. like crisps tier lists and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh well, you know, it's not the best crisp I can have, so uh, but but I'm gonna hold out for a quaver or something like that. I tell you what, like, childhood, <laughs> you fuck around with a lot of crisps, a lot of. Well, not a lot. Um, it's it a big like, experimentation yeah, yeah. period a lot, for all yeah, of yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you're locked in. You eventually, yeah. you're like, the crisps I like, I have whittled down to about the five main ones that I am like. There's a lot of other crisps that I found like, in a social situation, someone's offered me that crisp, I'm going to enjoy it. But basically, you get to a point where you know your crisps. On some level, it's like then everything outside of my catchment is not worth my time. Yeah. And life's too short to spend yeah. it on like my least favourite flavour of hula hoop. <laughs> <laughs> but do you ever do try the new way. thing? Do you ever try the new thing? I will try the new thing to know because it has to fit in the tier list. <laughs> you know what I mean? You've got to pop it in the tier know list. where it's ranked. Every well, how crisp can I know release. where it's ranked? I can't trust yeah. someone else. You've got Google Alerts on for crisp. <laughs> Yeah, for everything. <laughs> Every, but but that's a little bit. How, I, I, when we're like, you know, we, we we've got yeah. this idea of like consumer responsibility, mm-hmm. so we have to have make the tier list. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Everything goes into the tier list, and we only want to be on S tier and A tier at a push. I love. There's this thing called which, which I only found out about recently, which ranks loads of shit like best fridge. Yeah, sure. But they but they paywall it. Oh, I see. So it's like a it's like a a list thing, which is like the most fucking clickbait shit hack idea online. And are there not market comparison, market comparison sites as well? Because not all the market comparison sites <laughs> are as good be. as each other. There must yeah. be. Some market comparison sites are legitimately not as good as others. Yeah. They're not as thorough in the rankings. Fucking hell. And so I think, you know, once you've had a desire fulfilled, that even though you didn't know you had, but mm. you had a great time for anything, it's very hard to not have that anymore and not uh you need to go cold turkey yeah off of like exactly nice that's the things. only the only way you can do it is pure cold turkey is to just mm. have you ever gone off sugar i've done sugar i've done caffeine i've done lots of things that like i definitely relied on yeah have you might manage to stay off you can see me drinking a milkshake jack i've got a milkshake well right i didn't here. know if that would add fucking splendor in it or something <laughs> no it, i'm back on but caffeine i stayed off but yeah but the the, the if you go off i mean either of those things for example when you first take another hit, mm. oh my God. Mm. Oh my God. I remember I went off sugar one Christmas. I was like, I'm going to, a couple of years ago, I did Christmas, no sugar. And then I broke like near the end of January. Mm. And I had a bit of a apple pie. <laughs> Just the way you said it. Right. <laughs> I had a bit of apple pie. <laughs> Some, something about the delivery of apple pie. <laughs> and I guess it doesn't help that, you know, we're in the middle of this thing, like you're talking about a drugs relapse, and you just over-enunciate apple pie. <laughs> Mate. However I pronounced it, it was meant to... It was, was my truth, because fuck me, that apple pie... It was, I could feel my heartbeat, I swear to God, right? Mm. And then I was just straight, I was off the, I was off the sugar wagon. And like, I'm back, I've been back on the sugar for ages, but I actively avoid apple pie just out of some habit of like fearing, <laughs> even though I know it won't because I'm back on sugar. So the reason the apple pie hit me so hard and I was like, woo, here we go. Like, <laughs> yeah. <yeah-haw! laughs> like the reason it hit me so hard was because I've been off it. I still, I avoid apple pie. Because I'm like, 
worried it's going to be too much again, even though it's completely irrational. I remember being off coffee, but then like I had a big out day, a big day full yeah. of physical doing stuff. Yeah. And like, I mean, like, I think we were like filming something. Yeah. So it's like a long, long fucking day of concentrating. Mm. And I had a, a big Americano from a nice cafe. Fuck. I went bananas. Yeah, I bet you did. What you have to do when you go off something that once was important is you make up lies about why you don't like it. Okay, talking about sugar. Yeah. I have tried to develop this idea that some stuff, that's too sweet. Mm. Saccharin, mm, that's too sweet. No, bullshit. I've had to invent this I, idea I, of too I, sweet. Yeah, too sweet. It doesn't fucking exist, mate. It is. It does. Don't tell me that because you're damaging me when you say that. I have I've to, told my, you my lie. The one thing I've managed to do, I have, I have convinced myself with a similar lie. I've convinced myself, even though I know it's not true, but it's, it's a lie I, using willpower, cling to, which is that fizzy drinks are too much. Mm. So I'll never, I'll virtually never have this fizzy drink. Um, maybe if I'm out and it's an alternative to alcohol. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the line must bend contextually. Yeah, because then just the social acceptability of having just like tap water out is, is whatever its own minefield. Um, but fuck yeah, fizzy drinks. Wow. If I could, mm. if I could liberate myself, if I allowed myself to just go as ham on them, Pepsi Max Cherry. Have you had that stuff? I'm 100% not allowed the brown fizzies anymore. Yeah, right. I, I call it the forbidden brown fizzies. Yeah, because <laughs> the forbidden nectar, right? That yeah. stuff is fucked. That stuff is nuclear. I've told, you know, like you read what's in it and you're like, oh, that's really bad. Mm. Well, I had a friend tell me that actually you don't, not all of that goes in because it's too much for the body and it just junks a lot of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not all of it is like metabolized because it's too much of a hit. So much so the sugar. The body just chucks it. Yeah, yeah. Or whatever, even if it's not the sugar, it's the like, science sugar that's not sugar mm. that's even more fucked because it gives you a fucking cancer or whatever and so like i also think this about like art that i participate in like yeah. i've got old routines and stuff ideas that i was incredibly proud of <laughs> you know, i like, give the time of day because i'm better yeah, that's course. shit now yes that's but shit. that's good that's good like you, you get always... people who get trapped in like there's people who do whole fucking 10 minute chunks from years ago in stand yeah yeah, yeah. And they've got like a decade depressing. of their one act it's fucking depressing even if you've got stuff that's old and good you have to try to get rid of it and it, otherwise you're not improving yeah 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 yeah. you have to but improve I, but i also think that like let's take the fringe for example lots of people bring loads they bring their best stuff up right so in a way mm. we're seeing of all the slices of culture that do a lot of their business via the fringe mm. you're seeing like this is the current generation's creme de la creme yeah 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 and in a way a lot of the shows do get better there's an upwards trend of like quality and relevance mm -hmm. and diversity and it just invalidates all the comedy from like 10 years ago mm. because comedy ages awfully really badly yeah, yeah awfully yeah. i've gone back to so many things that were like direct inspirations to me and i've gone this is shit by yeah. my current standards yeah this is so terrible what now. what the fuck is up with that obviously culture changes people yeah, change yeah, yeah. generations change norms change reference of points change and, yeah and comedy has to surf the crest of that mm. but also i think on a very basic level it's just in the same way as everything just improves over time like mm. technology gets a bit faster and sleeker people who think about comedy quite a lot just learn new and interesting ways of doing it but is it improving, and the old stuff loses is it improving or is it just so is the newer stuff actually better or is it just better for these circumstances and if you teleported what people did now back 10 years ago would it be better then i'm not so sure i definitely think if you teleported a show from the present back to the past it would not do well for yeah. obvious reasons yeah well yeah yeah but no, they say what's corona yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes but reference points aside yeah you, you know what i mean like i don't think it's necessarily everything's always getting better it's just that it's always changing mm. everyone is individuals within the system are always trying to get better but then you've also got like first album syndrome where so many bands best work is the thing they put out first because they spent years creating it and then i don't know if that applies so much now but it definitely applied from like the 1960s to the 90s <laughs> I think there's an interesting syndrome where your first work stands alone mm. as a really original, interesting piece for a very long time. And then, but then eventually the churn takes it. It, mm. it can just stand against the tide of, of, of be better requirements, better. Well, and also the other thing about bettering. the churn is stuff will, you can have a thing that's really good when it comes out and it comes up with really innovative ideas, but then everything else in the system will peck at it and take influence from it. And then it will take influence. So you might only take a few of the things it did well, which were revolutionary when that piece, that work, 
when they were featured in that work, iterate on them, and make them even better. And then that happens in a whole artistic circumstance, um, in, a, in a whole context, like video games, for example. Take Resident Evil 4 or something, which has that mm-hmm. oh, like really good version of that kind of over the... It didn't invent it, but it had uh, that over-the-shoulder camera shit. Mm-hmm. That was like a galactic leap from the games that came before it. But like, if you go back and play that now, after playing the games that were influenced by it, it will seem janky. Games is a great example because going back generations in games is such a different experience. Oh, You're going, yeah, yeah. You need to have nostalgia for it or have some kind of like, I'm going to a museum type uh, mindset because so many basic quality of life improvements to the experience <laughs> of playing a video game are gone and then graphical fidelity goes down. So you're yeah. just having to do a lot more imagining in your own head what's supposed <laughs> to be going on in this scene. And also like genres of movies. You can have a movie that kind of creates or like trailblazes a genre. Like I'm thinking mm. of like Halloween mm-hmm. uh, by Deborah Hill and John Carpenter. And like, if you watch the stuff that came after it, even fairly soon after it, like if you compare Nightmare on Elm Street 1 to Halloween, mm-hmm. Halloween seems like slow as fuck and like mm. borderline boring. But if that's the first of that type of thing, you know, when Halloween came out, it was, I think it's still a good film. I'm not saying Halloween shit, but I'm saying compared to other stuff like it, mm. the stuff that's good about it's just been taken. You know, I imagine in a couple of years, Nanette is probably going to look bad because people have stolen mm, the, mm. the the uh, aspects of it and will work it into stuff that's maybe even better or even better suited to the, the context of the, the future years in which it comes out. Who knows? I mean, it's interesting. Like, there are loads of art that was incredibly innovative and important for a whole era. Ages terribly because the very idea of being influential is that your ideas are taken piecemeal and they are used in a variety of different contexts so often that they just become tropey. They're tropey and they're tired and we want to move on from them. But you made the tropes. They became a trope because it was good. Yeah, they were the trope starters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And every now and again, you do get a piece of art that is so idiosyncratic and is so based in certain context and mm. a certain authorship that that can't happen and it can somehow stand alone. Mm. But at the same time, it also has this other thing of like, it did nothing to advance the medium then mm. because people weren't allowed to kind of parasite off of it. Mm. So it didn't like, it, those things end up becoming these like cult classics mm. and a cult classic by its very nature is not actually influential and is is like, you have a, a smaller fan base of hardcores. Mm. This all comes down to like a hyper consumerist obsession with yeah, yeah. my life is finite and I will only have the best experiences <laughs> between yeah. cradle to grave. Yeah. But also at the same time, like any advancement, you can't reverse it because we have this massive like desire fulfillment drive. Mm. that means like the moment things have gotten better for me the thing that once was satisfactory now tastes like ash <laughs> oh I, t- I tell you what is a subcategory of this this experience which i hate novelty can only be experienced once you know you can you can only experience mm. playing a certain video game once or listening to an album once and that way it hits you sometimes you can you know there are benefits to going back and experiencing the thing again because you can do closer readings of it you can find all new stuff you can think about it more because you're not in the moment of the story or the 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 work like i think so many people would love to be able to like recycle empty recycle bin their memory of a particular piece of like if if they if if ai tech gets to the point where you know like if we get to the point where we are just fucking uploading our consciousnesses i think you should be able to have custom settings in your consciousness where you can delete memories of things in isolation have you ever tried to vicariously re-experience a piece of art for the first time by trying to introduce it to someone else and then being uncomfortably hyper vigilant of how it's affecting them constantly yeah like it's not just i would like to have this nice experience also i want to watch you have this experience and try to connect with my past self having it yeah well you don't like i think you you do it um because you genuinely think the person will enjoy the thing because you probably get on with each other because you enjoy similar things and you're like this person mm-hmm. and you love the thing and you're like you want to show the person the thing you love um and then also i'm really risk averse and don't want to waste time taking a risk on watching a thing that's shit mm-hmm. so if i'm like i already know this is good i really i know that i like it i think my friend will like it so let's watch it again and that'll be the primary objective but i am not denying that that must be a part of the psychology of it is to vicariously um, try 
try to desperately grasp at the uh, the experience of watching for the first time again. I de- like it, it puts me in mind of when I was a teenager and someone would put on a comedy and then just clearly and unsubtly look at me during the jokes. I hate that. Yeah, and no, I'd have to say, yeah, yeah. mate, you no, can't you do can't that. Fucking do that. The <laughs> worst, mate, you can't you do know that. You know when um, someone shows you a video on their phone? Have you seen mm. this? Worst. That is fucked. That yeah. is. You're talking about my cousin. Illegal. Um, <laughs> and it would always be like shit. Yeah, we always shit. Have you seen this? Anyone who wants to show you a video on their phone, oh, almost away. always it's going to be absolutely absolute junk. It's going to be Charlie bit my finger. And it's like, this, you've yeah. just seen this now. <laughs> Yeah, someone at work sent it to me in an email. <laughs> but you would enjoy it if you could delete your knowledge of Charlie Bit My Finger. Maybe. Um, I mean, I was never a massive Charlie no, Bit My Finger me fan. Me neither, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I've never come across someone who's like should... a hardcore Charlie Bit My Finger person. I can't believe you've done this. Now that... That's, that's different. That's I'm glad different. it's back. Yeah, yeah. Glad it's back up. So what I'm saying is it is violence to improve things. <laughs> we should go back to feudalism it's no 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 we can't we pause you can't go back to feudalism like we can we shouldn't go forward or backwards i mean the great stasis pause. is good stasis well, yeah. well don't even try and do the revolution revolution then pause oh no but we need this could yeah, take a long a time lot. of transition yeah, and yeah. then chill okay we children of the resolution then pause <laughs> here you go we've done the revolution you are the children of the revolution pause. And then please pause, and they'll be like, "Okay, boomer," and then they'll just they'll just do something else. <laughs> Mandatory redistribution party was created and produced by Sean Morley and Jack Lewis Evans. Our title theme was created by Ella Jean. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope it provides both some escape from the grinding horror that is life and also perhaps some stuff to think about. If you enjoy Mandos, please do consider supporting us by sharing this episode on social media or if you are able at patreon.com slash mandatory redistribution party where we have some additional content. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.